Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. About where we were this morning, we'd gone through a little bit of a review on uh, this whole uh, psychology of totalitarianism that is a book that was written by uh, Matthias Desmond. And uh, it's actually a pretty good book. And, uh, and I think he knows more than he even put in the book. But he's he's breaking it down in psychological terms because he's a psychologist, but he's also got a degree in um, statistics, so he could see that some of the things that were going on wrong with uh, uh, COVID and the, the misinformation that was going on. There were a number of other uh, statisticians who were seeing this. Uh, Rose, who's a great surfer, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> I put her information up at numerous scientists at Preparing You. And I actually just added Sasha's video down at the bottom uh, because she did some interesting research because she knows how to do it because she's been in the business for years. She's Ukrainian. And she did a short interview at uh, Epic Times and uh, has now done a longer interview. I believe it's it's completed. I think I've actually listened to it. But I put a short one up there. And uh, she was seeing how the data was not adding up to what they were saying. That the data was revealing information that should not be seen if the data was based on random samplings, etc. And of course, you can go listen to the video and find out. But the reality is what uh, Matthias is talking about. Eventually, he's going to get into it in chapters nine, ten, and eleven. Uh, that uh, that even the data can fool you. I don't think so. In the case of Sasha, she's looking at different things and uh, and uh, alphanumerical uh, patterns that are showing up. And it and of course data can do that. That where it can show up. You know the way in which you arrange the data can falsify the information. But she's seeing quite the contrary. That there is something else going on. And she says. And as a true scientist, she says it needs to be investigated and explored. But they say, oh no, you, nothing to see here. <laughs> you don't have to see it. But of course, that's part of the mass formation of psychosis. They don't want you to get any actual facts that might make you mass formation of psychosis hesitant. <laughs> that might wake you up out of your hypnotic state. And, of course, that's one of the things he's going to get into in the chapters is the hypnotic aspect of this mass formation of ideology or psychosis or dysphoria. Because what it is, it's a massive formation of ideas, mass hysteria. All these things are a part of the same thing. Now, there can be almost a mass formation of wisdom. A mass formation of enlightenment. But I say almost because that isn't the nature of enlightenment. Enlightenment is an individual thing. It's not a mass thing. 
Although, the more people that are aware in a given situation, the less power the the psychosis has over the people. And if you have enough awareness in a particular, in, in a riot, you can actually have a, in a, a riot. And, and riots come about when people have low conscious esteem, low conscious control. Something else will take control and cause what we call a riot, which is actually just a manifestation of chaos. But if you bring a little light into that chaos, you can rout the enemy. You can actually cause it to freeze and and become immobile, where it cannot do anything. It cannot act. But you don't have control over the light any more than you can shine light into a bottle and put the cork in, and the light stays in. <laughs> Because light doesn't stay in a bottle. Because we still don't know. We asked it this morning. Is light a particle? Or is it a wave? <laughs> and of course, the question itself encapsulates the answer. But the light is what Christ was. So, I am the way, the truth, and the light... He's saying something about the Christ, the Christ consciousness, the the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because we talked about that this morning. The Holy Spirit, the tree of life, same thing. It's that you go to the tree of life and it becomes a source. You go to the Holy Spirit, it becomes a source. You can't get to the Holy Spirit unless you're willing to walk in the light. Now the Holy Spirit can come and touch you, even though you live in darkness. The Holy Spirit has access into the darkness. And it can come and touch you. But when it touches you, you need to turn around and pay attention to it. You need to act upon how it touched you. It'll tell you to do certain things. It'll tell you to stop doing certain things. It'll tell you turn away from there. Go over this way. Every time you do that, every time you listen to the Holy Spirit, that still small voice... It opens the opportunity for hearing it more. And every time you deny it, opens the opportunity to you to hear it less. So you you want to hear and act upon what you hear. It won't be great things. Chances are, occasionally it'll be a great thing. And it'll tell you to go over here and all of a sudden you'll save somebody from drowning. Because you just knew I, I I had to go down to the lake today. I didn't want to go down to the lake, but something just kept telling me to go down to the lake. And I went down to the lake. <laughs> and there was somebody drowning there and I saved them. So, you know, I mean, that can actually happen. That that would be a big thing, a big, big, big event. And you'd say, wow, wow. But you can't conjure up the Holy Spirit next time just because of that, just because it was traumatic. You're more likely to hear the Holy Spirit when it's something minor, something tiny, something not seemingly very significant. Anyway, somebody said today that I'm taking longer to go through this book than uh, 
than it would take to read the book. Well, of course, I'm not reading the book. <laughs> That's not why I'm doing it. I'm filling in all the things that the book didn't tell you. In order to do that, I frame it in this vehicle of looking at the book. The same as your bondage was framed in the industrialization, mechanization, and technologization of uh, society. Those things did not bring you into bondage. They did not bring you into the bondage of the mass formation. But they were a vehicle. They did not create loneliness and isolation. They created the opportunity for loneliness and isolation. And the reason why is that you already lack social bonds. And so they were able to move you farther and farther away. Just the same as when the Israelites, the sons, uh, uh, the brothers of Joseph uh, and, and the sons of Jacob went into bondage because of the fact that they were jealous and envious of their brother. And they were willing to cast their brother into bondage. You know, they didn't make him a slave. They let somebody else make him a slave. They could have saved him from that, but they chose not to help him out of the pit and say, well, you know, instead they sold him to somebody else, which were their cousins, who therefore their cousins were creating karma for them. Now, if I use karma, people get all excited. Karma is, you know, it's a Hindu, uh, a Hindi phrase. Actually, it, it predates Hindi. But it's just talking about cause and effect. It isn't, isn't, and it, I mean, we have a similar word, uh, recompense, in the, the, the Bible. But if I say karma, people say, oh, that's Indian, oh my gosh. No, try to listen to the ideas that words represent. If you're focusing on the words, you're making yourself more susceptible to the mass formation of ideology. Because the words become the vehicle of your misunderstanding. So that there's another little nugget there. So anyway, we did talk about nullification, which is actually about jury nullification. And one of the big things today is that the things that are brought into the courts, the uh, district district attorneys are not really... Uh, you know, all the people that are trying the uh, six... Uh, January 6th guys, they think, well, they broke this law, <laughs> and there's a law against that. They were actually in the building. That's trespass. And so, yeah, they're guilty of trespass because they actually were in the building. They they could look at it and say, well, they opened up the door so that that would give evidence of permission to come in. Guys were going in there saying, well, they're opening the doors. And uh, one guy said, maybe this is a trap. And that was probably the Holy Spirit telling him that it was a trap, but he didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. He just went in <laughs> anyway, because it was a trap. And and that's why they opened up the doors. They didn't have, nobody was pushing on the doors when they opened the doors. They They moved the barricade. Guards moved the barricades, waved the guys to come forward. I saw it on video. I mean, it's, it's fact. Wave the, the guards waving the guys to come forward. Then the guard goes and opens up the door and they hold the door open and the guys walk in. 
Now, there were other guys that were doing other things, but that was going in at least one of the doors. And, but they didn't, they weren't following the Holy Spirit. That, that some of them might have heard from the Holy Spirit, but they didn't follow the Holy Spirit. And they went in. But maybe they'll learn lessons when they go in. But the jurors, listening to this, and of course a lot of them didn't see these videos. They were kept from them. And eventually, many of these guys will get out because of, you know, they withheld uh, evidence to the defense, which is against the law. It's a crime. I mean, the guys withholding this evidence, they could actually be arrested and should be arrested by federal marshals, because this is a, actually a federal issue. They could be arrested by local uh, DAs for withhold, but it was sometimes the DAs who were withholding the information. <laughs> so the fact is, and we talked about that briefly this morning. There's corruption at, at every turn, and the reason there there is a riot of corruption going on. Now, what did I just say about riots before? They are. They are a, a release of chaos that comes from the darkness. Where there is no light particles or light waves to create a uniformity. <laughs> there is only the absence of light, the absence of light waves. And, of course, now we can see light. We can't see all light, but we can see light. But there's an absence of, and I will use a Matthias word here. There is an absence of resonance, a certain kind of resonance. I mean, there is almost no place that there's totally absence of all resonance. But there are lots of different resonance, and if you, if your absence of certain resonance, certain things will seem to become more chaotic. They won't become ordered. So I'm giving you a little bit of a look into how the spiritual side of things work, and that will maybe be important as we get farther into these chapters. But the jury could actually say, yeah, he's guilty. But we're going we're gonna to find him not guilty. We're going to nullify the statute in this case. Because, now they weren't all given the accentuating circumstances, but we're going to nullify the statutes in this case. Problem is, the jury can't do that. Now, it could have done that. but And, and I can't Guarantee, because I haven't seen this, but I can almost 100% guarantee that before they sat down in that jury box, somebody said, will the jury please raise their right hand and repeat after me. I solemnly swear to decide this case according to the statutes of Washington, D.C. And the laws of Washington, D.C., which isn't even a state. But somebody probably did that. And they all, like good little public school students, raise their right hand and repeat it after them. And because of what they believe was a lawful command, they were cunningly coerced into waiving their right to jury nullification. Because if you take that oath, you don't have the right to jury nullification anymore. And if you try to tell the jurors they have a right to jury nullification after they've taken that oath... You could literally be arrested and prosecuted for jury tampering. But if all the people knew how the juries in America work and could work in many other countries like Great Britain, they could decide fact and law. 
but they don't know how to do it. They don't know what they're doing. And so that's why I wrote some articles and I, I posted some letters that I had back and forth to judges and court administrators. And of course I knew what the answer was. I knew what the answer was years and years before I had this conversation with them. But I had the conversation and recorded it, you know, in letter form so that you could find out and you can go to our page on this book and uh, you can um, get, find the links under nullification and go read about jury nullification. But jury nullification by itself is not going to get you where you need to go. Uh, jury nullification is just uh, a part of the process to show you how duped you've been so that you will because you're going to need right reason if you're going to have the power of a true jury. And of course in in Mosaic law, uh, the, the jury had that power uh, ever since uh, you know that Ishmaelite high priest, uh, told his son-in-law, Moses, this is going to wear you out. You're going to have to turn this this adjudication over to juries, over to congregations of juries, which I called the, in this little article, I refer to it as the, the micro-masses. It's where the people can come together and nullify the effect of statute. They can do that if they know what they're doing. But I don't want most juries to have that power to do that. It's only in the power of acquittal. But I don't want them to have that power until they have right reason. And I know they can't have right reason unless they're willing to listen to the will of God. And I know they won't listen to the will of God unless they're willing to walk into the light. And I know they won't walk into the light if they still want to believe the lie. And what is the lie? Well, there's several of them, but one of the biggest ones is that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through the governments of men who exercise authority. That's the elephant in the room, and that's what's producing all these zombies. And their willingness to believe that lie and deny the truth. So, I got down to another section, which is beyond the darkness. Is there still a reality beyond the one created by the masses? Because the masses actually create, with their mass formation, a sub-reality. Where they believe, you know, we see it with the Karens out there and the woke crowd and everything. You know, and, and facts get in their way and... All this stuff. Well, they have a sub-reality. It's not reality, but it's in their head. It is real. But it's part of that mass formation. So I ask the question, can there be kindness beyond cruelty? Can there be virtue beyond vice? Can there be love beyond hate? Can there be light beyond darkness? And the depth of those questions is phenomenal. Like I said, the Holy Spirit can go into dark places and touch people. But people in dark places cannot approach the Holy Spirit until they're willing to see the light. They are in prison in the darkness. And they create whole realms in that darkness in their imagination. And those those realms are just as powerful as the reality. They are their reality. The doctor says you're going to die in six months and you believe the doctor, you probably die in six months. 
But if you're listening to the Holy Spirit that says you repent and receive life, you could repent and see life and receive life. You could do that. Because the light is not subject to the darkness. The darkness cannot shine against the light. And so, this is going to answer a question that we're going to come up later because Matthias is going to bring it up in subsequent uh, chapters. But there will always be a radical intolerance towards anyone who is not a zombie or who dares to share the light of true love. You know, I mean, there's always the shows where, you know, the zombie shows, you know, like... Uh, well, I can't even think of the name, but Bill Murray was in it. And he would dress up like a zombie so he could go out and mingle amongst the other zombies. Of course, there was uh, the one young guy who was in one of the Walking Dead deals and he covered himself with the goo and all the stuff uh, of zombies and he smelled like a zombie. And the zombies didn't touch him. And then, of course, in uh, the, the other zombie movie where the zombies all ran real fast and everything... Z Z world or something like that. Anyway, uh, if you were sick, if your body was diseased, the zombies didn't want to take over your body. They didn't want to take over the body of someone who was diseased and ill. So that was one of the ways that they were going to protect you from getting is to inject you with something that the zombies were afraid of getting that didn't hopefully harm you. It probably wasn't the mRNA vaccination. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Matthias, he goes in and he actually says, The great minds who followed reason and facts most rigorous, rigorously came to the conclusion that ultimately the essence of things is beyond logic and cannot be grasped. Well, what it... Really, that's not 100% accurate. It's, but I understand what he's meaning, so I am not saying he's wrong. But it's beyond our logic. It's beyond our tree of knowledge. Our tree of knowledge is limited. We don't like to think so. I mean, Immanuel Kant said, Religion is the recognition of all our duties as divine commands. And, of course, that's very close. But Immanuel Kant was a guy who was trying to discover everything by reason. Dare to think, he says. Have the courage to use our own reason. Is, therefore, the motto of the Enlightenment. Well, use your own reason? Yes. But is it the source of Enlightenment? See, there's the danger. You dare to use your own reason to come to enlightenment? No, because the light comes from the tree of life. So, there, I mean, these statements I'm making, they go a lot deeper than what I'm saying. But they're, they're very important if you uh, cognate on them, chew on them, think about them, and maybe put them in the back of your mind somewhere. But ultimately... Where you get closer to the light is seeing your own failings, admitting your own failings, and acting accordingly. Which sometimes mean that you have to go and take back on your shoulders past responsibilities. 
No, if your parents are dead and you did not take care of your parents, you did no more ought for your parents, you were off preoccupied, uh, you know, seeking, you know, uh, enlightenment <laughs> or something, well, then maybe you're condemned to take care of somebody else's parents. <laughs> it's kind of like Gandhi said when somebody had bashed the brains out of a Hindu child and said that he was condemned because he took the life of an innocent person. And Gandhi said, no, you can still be, you can still find salvation. You have to find a Muslim child whose parents were killed in these riots that were going on in India and raise that child as if he was your own. But raise him as a Hindu. Well, that would be a challenge for a lot of Muslims. Some Muslims might handle it because I don't think of Muslims as Muslims. I think of them as individuals. I don't think of Jehovah Witnesses as Jehovah Witnesses. Those are labels they put on them. I'm a, I'm a big one for peeling the label back because <laughs> I want to see the soul. Because if you bring light into their soul, they will either flee you or receive the light. And that's what everybody has to do. Desmond talks about we have to speak up. Yes, we do. But we have to speak up with light. There has to be light in what we say. Light in what we do. Light in what we confess to the world. But we can't find that light until we know ourselves. And we cannot know ourselves until we're willing to walk in the light. And we can't Walk in the light until we forgive others. All these things are interacting. You know, you have to forgive others. Then you forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself a little bit before you can even start to forgive others. But eventually you want to come close enough to the Holy Spirit to touch the resonance or revelation of the Holy Spirit. But not so you can be smarter and know what to do but so that you can become an instrument of that Holy Spirit, an instrument of the tree of life, an instrument of that force that created us. We want to fulfill that duty to the rest of creation because we're supposed to be dressing and keeping it, taking care of it, which includes our neighbor for sure, our brothers, the other Adama, who did not receive the breath of life yet. We all want to have that touch in us. Matthias also sees the hypnotizer may also be hypnotized. This is in this chapter 7, the leaders of the masses. He may be lost to even, uh, or even cast out. Of what? Cast out of light. The hypnotizer is tempted by the foolishness of the hypnotized. Because when he he uses this power over the hypnotized, he has power and that power corrupts him and he wants more power. And and the more the people adore the uh, movie star or the politician, the, the more power they're given. And, boy, you could give examples of that. People give them power and they become promiscuous. The women become 
uh, you know, like the guy who's having trouble right now, the English fella, uh, getting accused of all this stuff. And he probably did some of the things. But he's tried to straighten his life out. Nobody cares about that. They're just looking. He's also making a lot of money. They want to get some of that money. And they also want to tear him down. They want to destroy anybody who is becoming a success, especially if they become dehypnotized. Because zombies hate zombies who come to life. They want all everybody else as dead as they are. So yes, this mass formation takes both victims and perpetrators in its grip. So the hypnotizer is just as possessed by the mass formation as the hypnotized. You know, the media. I mean, you can hate the media, but that's not any value in that. What you want to do is be the light. And that's where we have to get back to. And we want to be a light that does not consume. That's what Moses was looking for. A light that did not consume. That did not cause burnout. So both the leader and the lead are victims because they live in the dark and will hypnotize each other. One by his weakness, the other by his charisma or strength. To obtain a sense of something more than themselves alone. That they're literally making the relationship of the hypnotized and hypnotizer their God. And whatever ideology is formed by this relationship, that becomes their God. That becomes their religion. And and they are bound together in this mass of hypnotized and hypnotizers. And that mass is greater than themselves. So they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And they need that by the nature of creation. But what they really need is to be a part of the Creator. Not these subspecies of the Creator. These lesser gods. They cannot afford a relationship that is honest. They can only afford the relationship that allows them to perpetuate the, the, their mass hypnosis. And, and this is always a problem when one member of a family starts to wake up, the other one finds all kinds of fault with them. And this is, they cannot uh, afford an honest relationship, but also the boundaries become blurred because they will actually turn in their own family. And of course, he gives stories at the beginning of the book about a woman, I think it was in Iraq, who actually turned in her son as a traitor and actually went up and put the noose around his neck. This is how bad it can get. It can actually get worse than that, but that's bad enough. All normal ethical boundaries are violated under these conditions because your new God is whatever ideology is created by this relation of hypnotized and hypnotizer. And the people that are just, uh, what, what do they call it, Trumpers? To some degree, they're just as hypnotized. It may have a slightly superior ideology, maybe. But I see just as much corruption coming out of the conservative branches of government. 
And I've actually seen people I know that are extremely conservative. And I was pointing out, if you go read our article on uh, A222, I think if you look that up at Preparing You, that was a situation in, in Oregon where that that we had the power to remove the governor. Even though they were duly elected, we could have the governor arrested and forbid to ever run for office again. We could have that. The problem was that the laws that the governor broke, and they're very clearly broke. It's a matter of public record. And, and the punishment for that is removal from office and forbidden from ever running from office. Immediate removal from office. And that would meant she would have rolled back all the totalitarian uh, things that she supposedly got passed because like 75 to 85% of the Congress and, and Senate and the state of Oregon were also in violation. And we were starting to publish this and people were starting to find out and other people were mentioning it. Of course, the press was suppressing that right away. It's it clear matter of record, easy to follow in the law. And they started putting out misinformation about it. Oh, that was repealed. No, it wasn't. We we go through all the detail. And we showed, I showed guys, conservative guys, who are fighting for their rights, you know, going to have their rights. People I know, neighbors even. Going to, spending all kinds of time and money trying to help people out because they see the abuses of these rules that they passed. You could wipe them off the the political scene. All these these guys putting into place, these, this is even before COVID, these totalitarian type rules and regulations which they had no right to do. You could have just swept them out of office. Easily swept them out of office. You, all you need is a few honest sheriffs and, and you can start to do it. And, and a few honest Republican politicians. But the problem was the Republican politicians were violating the same rule. A2-22. They they were violating, clearly violating. It's a matter of public record. They were clearly violating. We had it black and white, easily proved. And you don't even have to go into court. You can just immediately go in and have them arrested. Now, the Attorney General wasn't going to do it because the Attorney General was an appointment, appointee of the governor, and the governor was guilty. And she wasn't going to do anything about it. When challenged about it, she says, I don't know what to do about it. Well, she didn't want to know what to do about it. I got my job because I got... So, technically, she she could be removed. All you need is a sheriff to go in and remove her. And just one honest sheriff to go in and remove her and, and maybe 500 guys that were honest. State troopers could have removed her. You know, because she's in violation of the law, clearly. And just go in there. You can't come into the office anymore. You can't, you can't practice this... Uh, uh, position, you can't even run for office, you can't be even appointed to a similar office anywhere in the state of Oregon. But the Republicans were, now I wouldn't say they were just as guilty, but there were numerous Republicans that were guilty and they would have to step down from their office. And the guy said, well, I like the, that Republican and he's guilty, so I don't want to say anything about that because then he would have to step down and I like him being in there. So, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I'm against rape, but th- this guy, he's raping, but he's a buddy of mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not against him raping. 
You know, so I'm not going to do anything about it. I could do it. I could end all this totalitarianism in Oregon overnight. But I don't want to do anything about it because my buddies are going to lose their office. If their buddies actually cared about Oregonians, they would have, these Republicans would have said, oh my gosh, we are in violation. We need to get together with everybody else who's in violation and say, not only... Are we going to step down? We're going to support and we're going to ask for the support of the people that all the sheriffs arrest all these other guys that are in violation. And they would have all started stepping down. Now, of course, they could have, they could already put other guys into place that aren't in violation, that didn't run for office, that are conservative and take their place. They won't be in office anymore. But these other guys would have been in office and they could have made a clean sweep of all the corruption in Oregon and then immediately changed the voting regulations so that, you, you know, one man, one woman, one vote. And you have to vote in present, present on Tuesday. <laughs> and you, if you come in to vote, you have to show ID that you are actually, you know, the same ID that you showed in order to fill out the voter registration. And if you want to vote by mail, you have to apply in advance and you have to show ID and your signatures will have to be verified based on the signature when you applied for, uh, you know, uh, a, a mail-in vote. None of this stuff of what's going on now. And you would have cleaned up Oregon. But they were more interested in their buddies being in office, more interested in they being in office than um, following the law. They were corrupt. The people were corrupt and the Oregonian guys were corrupt. And this corruption came about because of a hundred years of legal charity. Well, we've turned our back. See, if you accept one lie, you start cutting yourself off from the light. And you start moving into the darkness. And it's a lie that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And this goes way back. Public school, public education. Social Security. All these things are anti-Christ. They're based on force. It's not like if you have two coats and your neighbor only has none, share. That, that's what John the Baptist said. That's what Jesus Christ said. Do the same in meats. That's what the early church was doing. That's not what Pharaoh was doing. That's not what Herod was doing. That's not what the uh, uh, Caesars were doing. It's not what the Pharisees were doing. They were making the word of God to none effect because they weren't living by faith, open charity. They were living by force, fear, and violence. But you've been hypnotized to accept the lie. But you love the lie more than you love the truth. So you will not be free until you repent of loving the lie. We've gone through why the leaders mass and just to give you an idea, these are the little statistics that Matthias puts in his book. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, like the average work week for the peasant by statute uh, in the wintertime was no more than seven hours a day. In the summertime, it could run up to 10 hours a day. But once they had the revolution, the work became just unbelievable. And a lot of them were in the gulag doing their battling and fighting. But, according to him, 
He points out that 17 people a year might be executed under the czars. That's kind of an average number. 17 people executed by the czars. Okay. How many people were executed once they killed the czars? Well, in the very first year, it was over 540 were executed. Subsequent years, it went up to 12,000 were executed in one year. And finally, it it got up to like 600,000 people were executed in one year. 600,000. They're out doing the Aztecs. Amazing. Amazing. And they thought, and there are, there are actually people out there promoting communism. Still, that, that's serious mass formation of psychosis. But promoting democracy isn't really much better. You know, Marx was for democracy because it leads to socialism. And socialism leads to communism. I mean, he spells this out. But the reality is, is that it's not, you know, Marxism or socialism or democracy that is the problem. They are the vehicles again. The The problem is the resonance in the spirit of the individual. Matthias talks about uh, the Sierpinski Triangle, you know, where you have these like three dots and then you draw this other dot and it creates another uh, triangle and, and then it can create this pattern and you can actually, you can look up Serpensky uh, triangles uh, 3D and, and it actually creates a pyramid and it, what it is doing is that you it, it looks like a crystal I mean it's like snowflakes they have a basic design because there's a molecular structure to H2O but no two snowflakes are supposedly alike I don't know if anybody can prove that but anyway the fact is but they do follow patterns but there's variations in those patterns. And some people suggest that the variations in those patterns are caused by the presence of people, by the emotions of people, or the events around them will alter those patterns. And of course, you have a billion cells in your body and they're constantly reproducing and you have uh, viruses in your body, you have exosomes in your body, you have bacteria in your body, and the emotions of your person are affecting all those microbes. You are a mass formation, a cellular mass formation. And the spirit that dwells in you has an effect on that mass formation. Your attitude has an effect on that. If you believe you're going to die in six months, you may believe, you may believe yourself into the grave but it's not about positive thinking because you don't know what to believe you need the tree of life to guide you you didn't invent life you don't know how life works we can talk about it and show the complexities of it but when's the last time you created a universe (laughs) you don't do that you need the inspiration of the creator that's the divine spark. That only comes through the tree of life. If you try to do it through the tree of knowledge, the more you try to do it through the tree of knowledge, the more you cut yourself off from the tree of life. Because you can't eat of both. As a source. So anyway, Bataius talks about that and he also talks about birds, how they flock together and fly together. 
and some people refer to that, you know, the, how the, you know, the birds fly and these patterns and everything, you know, almost like a school of fish, that they are a supra-individual. That somehow they are connected. There's a union and discipline in that flock as it flies around. And some of them, it's just amazing what they do. But the early Christian community also was noted for its union and discipline. Uh, the union and discipline of the Christian Republic, which gradually formed an independent and increasing state in the heart of the Roman Empire. That's what Edward Gibbons, that, 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 he was saying that that union and discipline was the fifth cause of the growth of Christianity. And I don't know that it's the fifth cause in the order of importance. I don't know if he meant it that way. I can't remember. Um, but it's just it was listed as the fifth cause. There were other causes, but that that is actually the visibility of that union and discipline is coming from somewhere. And of course it's coming in part from the fact that Jesus said to sit down in the tens, hundreds and thousands, but it's also which is again the vehicle. But it also comes from the principle of laying down your life for your fellow man, living by faith, hope and charity. You know, if your neighbor has no coat and you have to share with him, do the same in meats. If you have extra food and he needs food, share with him. But of course, this sharing, this charity, has to be for the purposes of strengthening your neighbor, not weakening him. Because the legal charity clearly weakened the black community. It's clearly weakening the white and the Asian community now. But the black community was targeted, so we see the evidence of this legal charity destroying, just like Alexis Tocqueville said it would. But again, Matthias is going into the the rationale of this psychological breakdown of the social bonds of a free society. Because a free society needs social bonds to stay free. It doesn't have the contractual bonds. It doesn't have the oaths and the swearing. Because you know, Jesus said, stop the taking of, you know, stop swearing. Swear not. James said, above all else, stop the taking of oaths. And, of course, the Ten Commandments tells you to make no covenant with the gods of the world. The ruling judges of the world. And how do you make those covenants? You, you take an oath. You sign this treaty, this league, this agreement under penalty of perjury. You say and not do that. So some people, well, I'm not going to sign any of these things. Well, you now you've created a religion out of wisdom. And now you, you have to be obedient to your religion rather than the source of wisdom. You've supplanted the tree of life. The wisdom that comes from that spark of God. With your ideology, you've created an ideology that we swear not. We don't swear. You know, I, I heard of a guy who is on his deathbed, been on his deathbed for a while. And I was shocked to hear. And I, I mentioned it to somebody else who knows of him. And they were shocked too. He, he, he doesn't want to take blood transfusion because his religion doesn't take blood transfusions. But he's absolutely okay to be hooked up to machines and monitors, even if he's a vegetable, to keep him alive. But no blood transfusion. Uh, 
because he believes in an ideology. You know, he's and he's following the ideology. He's not following the wisdom of God. And of course, anybody who follows ideology is is following the gods that they have created for themselves in their imagination. You see, I mean, because that's the, the false Christs are the the images of Christ that the modern church creates and says, "Oh, say these words." We had a preacher in here doing this to my son when he was little, that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you say those words, you're saved. Bingo. But that's an ideology. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, not those who say, but those who do. This guy's saying it doesn't matter whether you do. It just matters whether you say. That's the direct opposite of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't see that because he's accepted a, a lie, an ideology that is not telling us the true Christ. That's why when they kept begging me to dry, write a doctrine for the church, I went and looked at all the doctrines out there and I thought, like, these guys don't even hardly quote Christ. And that we know that if it's his church, it has to be his doctrine. So the only doctrines we have, I mean, we'll talk about a lot of stuff, but the only doctrines we have is the doctrines that Jesus actually gave us. And there are quite a few statements that he makes that have been recorded. We know that this is basically, you know, we have to assume that the Bible is correct in the in the statements that he made. But pretty quick, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, we see a pattern in the doctrines of Christ that conform with the doctrines of Moses. Because if you knew Moses, you'd know Christ. If you knew Abraham, you'd probably know Moses. But they have a false image of Abraham and they have a false image of Moses so that they can have a false image of Christ. And then they can get you to believe in that false image and that becomes your graven image. And then they can get you to believe a lie. And then you can go out and covet your neighbor's goods through the men of exercise authority and think that you're following Christ. Even though he said you can't. That's why we bring that up so much is because it's such a clear statement that shows that the modern Christian is not doing what Christ said. They are like the Pharisees. They are not like Christ. So anyway, we also see in other hist- his- historical books by, uh, I think it's Durant. Uh, I'd have to look. Um, Rousseau and the Revolution by Will and Ariel Durant. Uh, which kind of a husband and wife team. But they, they say among these secondary factors, he lists the pure and austere morals of Christians. They would not eat at the tables of Rome or Ephesus. That is the table of which they would not eat. They knew because those men who exercised authority, those rulers who set those tables by taking away from other people, are receiving deceitful meats. Deceitful dainties. Proverbs told us this. Psalms told us this. David told us that it was a snare and a trap. Peter repeats David. But your modern preacher doesn't tell you. He says it's okay. And because it's not okay. And it's not okay not because I want you to follow some ritualistic formula of 
taking care of one another. I want you to do it out of love. But in doing so, you come face to face with your own selfishness. See, when the Israelites threw their brother into a pit and sold him into slavery, they hid the truth of what they did. You know, they covered, they took his clothes and they put blood on it from an animal and said, oh, an animal must have eaten him. They hid from it. They lied about it. Just like Adam. It's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. They didn't face up to it. So what happens? Because they denied the truth of their sin. They eventually, their choice not to take their brother out of the pit brought them down into the pit. It pulled them down into the pit like a magnet. And they went into bondage. It's built into the system. What will bring them out of the pit? You know, Matthias is correct that he says that uh, a crowd creates a common resonance of an import of meaning, purpose, and power. And, and the common crowd today has the commonality of taking a bite out of one another. They are all zombies. They are all eating the flesh of one another. They're all in a cauldron and they are the flesh. They're all in the one purse that Proverbs talks about. And of course we have articles that go through these. You can find the place where it says it. Go to the Bible and find it. And so therefore their social bonds break down just like Polybius said. They're not operating according to the perfect law of liberty. They're operating according to force, fear, and fealty. And they themselves go under the bondage of rulers. They're snared with the words of their mouth. And the covetous hearts has made them merchandise and cursed their children with debt. An unpayable debt. But there is a debt that is paid by Christ. Because eventually there will be one man up there that everybody owes. Everybody but Christ. And that man will owe Christ a life. (laughs) Because Christ died that you might be saved. But whether you're going to be saved or not depends on real salvation, real belief in Christ. And we know you don't really believe in Christ if you're still workers of iniquity. You're still taking a bite out of one another. If you're still coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority. We know you're not saved. But that is your salvation. If you admit it. If you see it. If you hear the voice of Christ and what I'm saying. So he says that like the lockdowns were a relief for some. A respite from their mundane existence and lonely lives that was lacking of true meaning and purpose. Now their purpose was, you need to wear a mask. You need to stand six feet apart. Now they were on a mission. Like a Muslim, making sure that the woman's hair is not sticking out of her burqa. You know, it gives them a sense of righteousness because they have this simplistic mission to make everybody in compliance. They don't know what bondage they're going in, what what can of chaos they're opening. You know, that can of chaos that they open uh, ends up bringing destruction. 
unfortunately now the destruction came by way of the U.S. military and U.N. missions in these areas. But, and you could, they could certainly blame the U.S. for that. But in reality, it's their own fault. If you want to oppress a nation, first you oppress the women. They, they're the easiest thing to oppress. They're not as strong, they're weaker, and if all you guys get together and become male chauvinists and try to suppress the woman and, and make her your slave, well then, did, you, you, your nation will be filled with gen, degenerates, and, and then you'll try to make a law and start throwing homosexuals off the roof, but you've created these, did, the, this, unnatural approach to things because of your unnatural approach to things. You Because you're abandonment of the Holy Spirit, of God. And, and, you know, I mean, you can call them Yahweh or you can call them Allah or whatever. You want to put a name on them, but there is one God. And He doesn't need a name. He doesn't even need your love. You need His love. So that you can give it to others in the fulfillment of your duty to your fellow man. Because God doesn't need you to do anything for him. You need to do things for God, which is to be like God to other men and give them the power of choice that God gave you. And pass that on. Pass the blessings of your life on to others. That's what you need. If you don't do that, that's the purpose of the Christians, which is why they had a union and discipline. And we can see that from, you know, Justin, who said that they get gather every week and those that have more or enough share with those that don't have enough. Created social bonds. That when there was injustice, when they are arrested unfairly, people... People tried to do everything they could to help them and help their families. Take care of their families. I could give you hundreds of examples of how this was going on. And I can give you hundreds and hundreds of examples of how this can go on in your future if you repent and become a real Christian. But if you don't join the network, I won't know who you are. And I'm not talking about just an email group. I'm talking about the Living Network. Sit down in the congregations of ten, hundreds, and thousands and start doing what the early church did. So I have another section to steer or be steered. Who is the leader? Are we steering or being steered? Are, and of course we kind of cover this with the hypnosis thing. Or are the masses and their leaders engaged in a mutual ascent? Like the dots of the uh, Serpensky Triangle, the population, and the repetition of a pattern in the members of society transforms society. And, and the nature of the pattern is dependent entirely upon the means and the method. The, and the means and the method will be determined by the elements of the personalities of mankind. And if you are made in the image of God, and you're still true to the image of God, those elements will be the same. But if you deny certain elements of your personality, your failings, your stumbling blocks, then you will not have enough dots 
to create the pattern of the kingdom. You will create a lesser pattern. And you will go into the bondage to that pattern. And of course that's what's happened. And that's why John the Baptist was talking about, you know, they said, well, how does this work? You know, is it just about getting dunked in the water? No, no. It's so simple. That you, I mean, there was a, the social welfare system through the temple and all the congregations that signed up with the temple and registered with the temple and they all paid into the temple and it came in to the men who sit on the, on the left. Somebody was asking about that today. You know, men that sold doves. Was it the men that sold doves? I mean, we know that the translations have been meddled with a little bit. And become a little cryptic. But we also know that God allowed the Bible to be very cryptic from the Hebrew on. But I, I can show you places where the word for dove and and left side well, together mixed in a sentence where a guy gets stu- stabbed on the left side that people thought that a dove flew out. <laughs> but... Uh, the left side. They were selling the seats on the left side. They were selling that. And those seats on the left side, and we show you in, you know, uh, archaeologists who in, and forensic archaeologists were saying that this is how the system worked that was set up by Herod and the Pharisees. That men would buy the office of tax collector and then they could take a clip of what they collected. So now they're motivated to collect as much as they can. And they become the the taskmasters of those who sign up. And if you catch a lot of fish, they want a portion. If you grow a lot of grain, they want an equal portion. And if you're signed up, you have to pay it in. This is the Corbin. The sacrifice is now no left, no one left behind. <laughs> so they will create a world around them. And the image of the ideological lie that they accept. And they accepted the idea that it was okay to force others to take, to, to force them to contribute, to take from them so that you could provide a system of social welfare. That's always been forbidden. At the time of David, at the time of Moses, at the time of Abraham. He wasn't going to do it like Nimrod. He was going to do it actually through love. And so he created altars of sacrifice to take care of the needy of society and a priesthood who was answerable to society because they couldn't force the contributions like the goddess, the dove goddess of Sumer. They couldn't. It had to be free will offerings, which we call charity today, which Jesus called love. Those who cater to the ideology of the masses will become the master, but in truth... He is merely a puppet of the mass formation of that ideology. Matthias Desmond also speaks of the second mass that forms with seemingly a different ideology that will come into conflict with the other. Democrat, Republican. Or maybe constitutionalist. Or, you know, there may be more than two. Neither or, or none are willing to see the whole truth but will defend their respective ideology to their mutual destruction. Both or all of these ideologies are religiously held up by each mass group 
as their truth. And of course they will have church ministers and everybody, you know, that will back them. And verify, yeah, yeah, he's right. He's a good guy, you know. Yeah, he's corrupt. He violated Article 2, Section 22. And he he needs to, by the constitutional, because this is part of the Constitution, needed to be removed from office. But I don't want to do that. I'm not going to be true to the Constitution because uh, I like the guy. Well, then you like corruption. And your whole state went into corruption. There's nobody to blame but the people who had the choice in you know, I've I've kind of told them this, and I will tell them more, more and more as as things become more totalitarian. You could have done something about it, but you chose not to. Turn your back on the truth. Can't do that. Can't do that. You have to speak up, and Desmond sees that. But you still need that resonance, that Holy Spirit, to tell you when to speak up. And if you're not speaking up because you have fear, you know that you're not following the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does not operate with fear. These multiple masses will destroy each other and anyone who reveals the word by word or deed, their delusion. Of course, that's why my daughter's always saying don't attack their delusion. So you have these masses and they will be different. But they will be drawn towards destruction of each other because they're still operating on the same plane. It's it's like, uh, you know, in Dr. Zhivago, the guy who was all for freeing the people with communism and everything and all this kind of stuff and stop the czars and all this stuff. And they were protesting against it. And the Cossacks came and kind of beat them a little bit and... Uh, and they were fighting against it, and eventually he became an absolute total mass murderer. Murdered thousands of people, killing left and right, because his ideology required it. People didn't want to go along, and he had to make them go along. But the the fact is, is that he, he couldn't see the very basic thing, that it was communism doesn't... All those people who want to be communists or socialists, or even Democrats, you know, democracy... Democracy is, now you, you can have a democratic vote, but the vote is never taking away the rights of others. You see, in the kingdom of God, you can vote every day. It's called a vote of offering. You pick a minister of your congregation and you can support him. You give him ten bucks, you can give him a hundred bucks, you can give him a thousand bucks. If you think he's doing a good job, you get to decide. Whatever you give him, that's paid in full. That's what Christ was explaining with his parables. Because he was preaching a government from the beginning. But it's the government of the people for the people and by the people. So the people have to fund the government. But the choice to do so and the way in which to do so and who in the government they want to fund is in their hands. They hold the purse strings. But what they give, they have to give up entirely. But they give up enough for this week. And maybe for a couple of weeks if they're not going to see the minister for a while. But And they get to pick the minister. And they get to advise the minister. But he gets to decide. And of course that's going to have some influence over him. Because he knows that, well, you're a giver. Hopefully 
He remains faithful to the Holy Spirit. You should never try to bribe your minister to do it your way or you're not going to give to him. He, he needs, you need to be picking, if you do that, you're going to go back into bondage. Because you're trying to take his choice away from him. You're not giving him the power of choice. If you won't give him the power of choice, you will lose the power of choice. That's just, it's just built in. It's about truth or consequences. You do it that way or not. And that's, that's our next section, the truth or conversation. Their speech must be the whole truth. And well, how do you even know what the whole truth is unless you tap into the Holy Spirit? And how can you tap into the Holy Spirit when you're not caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself? And how can you be sure that you're caring enough about your neighbor as yourself if you're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and contributing on a regular basis to your neighbor? Or not just to your neighbors you know, but to the neighbors you don't even know because according to Ecclesiastes, which we've already done a study on, you have to cast your bread upon the waters in hopes that it comes back to you. So you can give to your minister and he can give to another minister. You see, when you really... Now, how you give and and from what part of your heart you give, that depends on if you know yourself. And I can tell you right now, you do not know yourself. You know a little bit about yourself. You know a little bit of the dark spots in your heart. You've probably come to a lot of realizations over the years if you've been listening for a long time and, and you're still showing up. But there's deeper places in everybody's heart that all of us have to go. And when the Christians in the early church were gathering, they were learning some of these, which is why we have some of the epistles we have, where they're getting scolded. Because they're not seeing certain things. And sometimes they're being, you know, the Corinthians weren't giving as much as the Galatians. And the Corinthians were better off than the Galatians. But more so than that, part of the reasons we got onto this and part of the reasons we did a little bit of a study on Suetonius and Tacitus and, and of course, Plutarch. Wise men knew a lot. But they didn't like Christians. Because they wouldn't look at the elephant in the room. They could not see what the Christians were doing, not honestly, because of their ideology. That said that legal charity through the state was the way to go. They had accepted that. They already believed a lie. They were very rational men. Very reasonable men about a lot of things. But there was a beam in their eye. When it came to the realization that legal charity brings the rewards of unrighteousness. It brings bondage because it is based on force. It's not based on love. And legal charity is all you have in the United States today. I mean, some churches have some charity, but it's minuscule compared to the legal charity. Go start a convalescent home for elderly people. People whose family have died and nobody's there to take care of them. Maybe they've got a bunch of reprobate sons and grandsons who don't want to take care of them, do no more ought for them. And so you say, well, I'm going to step up and take care of them. Now, I took care of my mother. Uh, I was holding her hand the day she died. I had visited my dad. He lived a long ways away and I would visited him just shortly before 
he passed away and I rubbed his feet. I comforted him. And, and at one point he says, you don't have to do this. I said, you didn't have to take care of me either, but you did. This is an opportunity to help take care of you. And, you know, uh, but still, I think it's important that my neighbor learns to take care of their fathers and sons and this, the sick and needy of society, the widows and orphans. But how can you do that today without Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security? I, I hardly know a charitable institution in the nations that could even begin to do that without aid from the government. We talk about the old fellow, fellow that we took care of out here. He wanted to come home. He had supposedly days, maybe a week or so to live. Well, he came home and he, he lived, got better, sores healed up. And he had a much better quality of life. And the, the people that saw us, the people from the state who saw us taking care of them, they wanted to pay us. And we, we refused the money. Because we couldn't take money from them. Now we could take money from somebody who wanted to charitably give it, but not from legal charity. So how can you do what God wants us to do today unless the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and fund the ministers who want to actually live a life of service? I can find you lots of people who want to have political office and force people to do what they think is right. But who wants to live like Christ said? See, and when a lot of these people, the politicians, and, the, you know, we talked about it this morning where there was this, uh, the people that are taking care of the, uh, uh, let's see, I was looking, oh, I know where I have it, okay. They were taking care of the uh, people who come across the border. And, uh, it says corruption and abuse of funding for government services that used to be provided uh, in America through private charity. Lack of oversight is the result of sloth in the attending to the weightier matters that comes from a hundred years of amoral practice of legal charity. But some of the people, the workers for the government were getting paid $200 an hour, almost $200 an hour. To take care of illegal immigrants. They come into the country. You get more benefits as an illegal immigrant. Than you get get as somebody who. You know. Suffering from bankruptcy. Because they shut you down. In COVID. And that's going to happen. Which should be expected. But what we have to do is repent. So. What they had forgotten. Is still forgotten today which may be woven in Matthias's solution. Because Matthias says some peculiar things, and I don't know, you know, he may be cloaking some of the answer in the way he writes it. But he does talk about this hypnotized masses, is about 30% of them are just flat out hypnotized. Not hypnotized, but complies or, res- uh, or resists will amount to 40 or 60%. And and how much is resisting, how much is just complying, going along to get along. 
uh, that will vary in, in by location, by time, etc. Not hypnotized at all, he says, can run between 10 to 30 percent. I I think he's being generous. <laughs> Uh, there, there, maybe 10 or 30% are a lot less hypnotized, but everybody's hypnotized a little bit. And so he, he actually states, in general counter arguments should be formulated in a disciplined and organized manner in a special created structure and working groups. He's t- talking about how to, for the unhypnotized, what they can do. And he says the formation of such groups in itself also provide an antidote to one of the most pernicious effects of totalitarianism. This destruction of every social bond and structure. Well, the destruction of social bonds, and we can go back to Polybius who says, when the people become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they will institute the rule of force and violence finding once more, uh, and actually degenerate into perfect savages, finding once more a monarch and a king. So it's built in that if you do not nurture the social bonds, they will decay. They will degenerate. So they didn't have to destroy the social bonds. They just had to replace those things that create the social bonds, which is legal charity. And we've done... Dozens of shows way back, you know, Australia did this, you know, and now, you know, I, I saw somebody testifying in Australia trying to interrogate Pfizer people and all this kind of stuff, and they think that they're going to battle against this enemy, but they are the enemy until they address the fact that legal charity degenerates the social bonds of society. The same as slavery did in the South. And Alexis Tocqueville points that out. The slavery in the South was degenerating the communities in the South. The both poor and rich. Both the people who had slaves and the people who refused to have slaves. They were all being degenerated by the mere presence of the slavery. Because that's M1 and M2. You... The only way to generate a remedy for this hypnotic state that draws us all back into the pit of bondage is to be the light. And the only way to fuel that light is to care about others. So you have to start institutions and practices of sacrifice and caring. That is the daily sacrifice of the temple. That we have to start. It's the, it's the temple made without hands. Well, I mean, there are hands, but it's not made with stones. The The morning program, the commercials, he's always talking about the building of the temple as it required and all this stuff. And he has a book that he's selling. So I don't talk about this on that program. But the temple that needs to be rebuilt is not a temple over there in the Middle East. It's a temple that has to be built everywhere in every community. It's the temple of righteousness. The temple of God. Made out of living stones. And clay. Because you are, every congregation is an altar of clay. So who can be a minister of the altars of God? Who, who can fit together without hewing them? I think they're out there. But the word has to go out.
And we have to know how to come together in righteousness. And the people need to come together first. And there's a lot going on. And it's going to, the longer you put it off, the harder it's going to be. To know the whole truth, we must first know ourself. But to know thyself, we must seek to know, follow, and see the whole truth, the way and the light. Which is Christ, what Christ was really doing. Adam and his vanity tried to know the whole truth through his own intellect. He tried to divide what was good and evil in his own mind. When he first tried to decide what was good and evil, he realized he couldn't. He was naked. And he he was ashamed that he'd even tried. He knew that he'd made a mistake. But he didn't fess up. He blamed God. And finally fled the light. And we've been fleeing the light ever since. Now we have to go back. And we have to go back all the way because we're coming to a climax here. And before we proceed in chapter 9, we may ask how all the clocks that we talked about way back at the beginning on the wall synchronized. It's because they're all on the same plane. They're all connected. And of course, the guy who did the experiments, this Christian fellow, I mean, his name was Christian, he actually used bars to hold these meters together so that they would they would eventually synchronize because it would happen much more quickly. But you could actually just hang a bunch of uh, clocks on the wall and they will eventually try to synchronize because they're all in the same plane and the vibration is still there. And some of the clocks with maybe a bigger pendulum will synchronize first with other clocks and the more clocks that become synchronized, the more the others will likely synchronize. The same as two masses of uh, on the body of water will be drawn to one another because this plane is a flat surface on which a straight line joining any two parts or points on it would wholly lie within that plane because it's two-dimensional that wall is two-dimensional plane but the point is that everything is connected it is connected on a spiritual plane. There's a common spiritual plane to all matter. We call it spiritual. Call it quantum if you want to call it quantum. Everything is connected. It's it's kind of the singularity. It's why we have a monotheistic God. There's actually God's many. But over all these God's many, there's a monotheistic God because there is a common spiritual plane. And even though... There is evidence that some are trying to break that plane off, but it's all a part of the original creation. So, the same rules apply. And when those two planes come into collide, then 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 you will the, you will have these monumental events in history, like Christ was a monumental event in history, and we're coming on more. There's been other monumental events in history that changed all kinds of things. But the mechanistic ideology sees the universe as dead. Just objects. Uh, but interact in random material particles according to like chemistry and physics, etc. Yet there is the Fibonacci sequence and many other patterns that repeat in nature and nobody seems to know why. 
And back, so he has this chapter now, and it's part three that he talks about the dead versus the living universe. If everything is just particles and the particles mechanically interacting according to basic laws of physics and thermodynamics and chemistry, then we're all, there is no choice. There, that we're all just, we're just random, uh, if I may be so crude, butt puppets. Uh, subject to the mechanisms of the universe, subject to other people, subject to the things going on around us. And we have no real choice. We imagine that we do, but we don't. We're just products of a material world. But I think there is a choice. And that choice is spiritual. And it may only be one choice. The choice between the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's your only real choice. Everything else is going to be determined by that choice. But the choose the tree of life now for every meal, for each choice, for each moment. Can you do that? You know, because you always have the, you start to eat of one, you still have the choice to go back and eat of the other. But the more you eat of that, the more you choose, the more firmly attached to that you become. He even talks about uh, the Lorenz water wheel seemed to be an example of chaotic theory until looking more deeply he produced the Lorenz attractor, an example of what he calls a strange attractor. And you can go study that. Lorenz, L-O-R-E-N-Z, attractor. Find out about that. But the reality is, is that the tree of life is tapping into another plane of existence. And we know that in his father's house there are many mansions, because he says so, but what does that mean? We know that science says there are many dimensions. That, uh, there are, are different realms of existence. And they think that we can actually break into another realm. They see energy coming from somewhere and disappearing somewhere. So, what basically Jesus is telling you is that if you want to tap into the spiritual realm, you have to forgive, you have to give, you have to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is a kingdom, a government that is of the people, for the people, and by the people, whereby you take care of one another through love rather than force. And this will tap you in to another dimension, another pattern, with more dots than the triangle that I mentioned before, to create that pattern of God in us, according to the nature of God, where we become actually creators, or creative guides to the universe of God, where in that process, we, well, I say creator guides, I'm sure some people are going to balk at that. So that we're able to dress and keep it. Because that was the command. Well, how do we dress and keep it? How do we proceed in that process? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Remember we talked about waters? Nice crystals? 
could be affected by the presence of our minds, by our emotions, can affect those crystals and the way in which they combine each other as they begin to freeze. Yet there's a certain mechanical process, but we're able to affect the mechanical process by the presence of our observation. You know, Matthias talks about, uh, uh, I don't remember if I word it correctly, but the the absence, the present absence of the other. (laughs) Well, we're absence from the God of creation because we've ran out of the garden. We need to come back into the presence of God and tap into that source of creation because it is his spirit that moved upon the waters and you're 75% water so you want his spirit moving upon the waters of your being. And you have to want that for his purposes. And you have to have the humility to admit that you haven't been doing that up to now. Not to the extent that you need to do it. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And that's where you want to get. You want that light to begin to glow in you. And then you will be attracted to other people of the light. And the people of the darkness will flee. But you still may have a mission. And God may want you to go into the darkness and interact with the people of the darkness. Maybe to get somebody out. You know, I used to tell the story about the monks who used to do that all the time. That uh, during, uh, after they discovered America, there were monks in Europe. that And they were bringing people over, Indians, to enslave. And uh, they would buy the Indians at the slave market. Or I guess they also bought blacks. They would take them back to their monastery and they would treat them kindly. They would be expected to work, all the monks worked. But they would teach them English. They would teach them about Christ. They would teach them about how the world works. And then they would, at some point, set them free. And they had the tools to be free. And that's that was what the monastery did, was constantly try to help set men free by showing them the ways of Christ. And one of the people they did that to was Squanto. They bought Squanto. And they took care of him. They taught him English. And he learned other... Well, they actually taught him French. But he also learned English. He learned multiple languages. I don't know how many he finally learned. I can't remember. I think I reported on it once. But amazing individual. But there were a lot of amazing individuals in his life that helped him out along the way. And we're blessed for it. Now, how many people have you helped today? (laughs) And can you come together in a mass of individuals doing the will of Christ? So, we, you know, I also talk about, um, you know, this Christopher Anthony Lunsford in that interview that... uh, Jordan Peterson mentions the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. If the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship does not deal with the issue of legal charity, of a social safety net based on the power of the state, 
if it doesn't address that so that it returns every man to his family and every man to his possession so that he can start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They do not deal with that issue. They will not succeed. And I can tell you that the people that are allying themselves with Jordan Peterson in Europe and probably in America, I know some of them in Europe, they are not going to let him address this issue. He will become blackballed when he does, if he does. But if he doesn't, he will not succeed. And so far, I haven't seen that he's figured it out. This panel certainly didn't figure it out. What makes a good leader? If people are using power, force, and fear, that's not a good leader. That's Jordan Peterson said that. If people are using power, force, and fear, all your systems of social welfare are based on power, force, and fear. And the church is supposed to be basing its social welfare system on faith, hope, and charity. The Roman Catholic Church hasn't been doing that since it crowned William the Conqueror. Shortly after they crowned William the Conqueror, when when uh, Lady Godiva, who was mentioned in the Doomsday Book, which was started by William the Conqueror, and her husband, who was a Norman, like William the Conqueror, were told that they had to collect a tax to take care of the needy of society. Now, the way they would do that is give the tax to the church, to the Roman church. They would receive that gift from the government, but the government got that gift by forcing taxation upon the people. Lady Godiva said, no, we can't do that. It will destroy society. So she said she would take her own wealth and put in that pot by free choice. And her husband said, I will match everything you put in. And she became the patron saint of architects because she built hospitals and she built schools and she built places that would care for the needy of society through free will offerings. A hundred years after her death, a monk came up and distracted everybody from who she was with a story about, a nonsensical story about her husband and locking the door and all this stuff. But eventually a story about her riding through town naked. Everybody remembers that story. But they don't know the truth. And so, eventually, now they, they tax. They, they actually even cut out the church. The church doesn't have to take care of the social welfare of the people. Government will do it. Men who exercise authority, one over the other. And people have accepted the lie that that's okay. It's not. So, let's see Anthony, Christopher Anthony Lunsford, better known as Oliver Anthony, sing about that. Anybody can condemn the rich men north of Richmond. But can you sing about the fact that the souls of America have abandoned that which made America great? Can we face that truth? Are we willing to see that truth and the whole truth of it 
and provide for it. So chapter 10, the mechanics view remains the primary view of the common view, uh, in the common view, yet more and more the observation of man and his conscious thoughts seem to have great influence in quantum mechanics than imagined by mechanistic materialism. Because that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this effect. And there's, I mean, we could talk about that for a long. I already see cars pulling up. We may end up ending the show. Let me take a quick look back at the, at the board to make sure I haven't lost everybody. It looks like, uh, still working. <laughs> uh, let's see what we got left in time. Okay. We got a little over an hour. Uh, is that supposed to be 1600 hours? Is that what that is? That must be it. I have to put on my Navy hat to read the time. So anyway, uh, I'll be able to cut this down when I cut all these little sidetracks out. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, so he talks about the power of suggestion and hypnosis and placebo effect and everything. And those are real, but I mean, we don't want to go through this manipulation of the mind of people. Matthias tells of examples where uh, what we hear, see, and think often has more powerful influence over the mechanisms of materialism than they should if the mecha- me- mechanistic materialism actually works. Alexander Solzhenitsyn tells of the prisoner of the Gulag, uh, Gregory, who overcame the physical difficulties and hardships of uh, mechanistic materialism presented by the Gulag by his ethical mental position. Now, part of that could be the placebo effect. He believes that if I stay ethical, I will do better. But there could actually be more to it than that because he was facing a great deal. So chapter 11, this is the last chapter, Science and Truth. Matthias gives a long list of top scientists who not only admit that there must be a godlike mind that brings the material world out of chaos. It is the human mind that seems to hold the key to dominion over the material world. And we were given dominion. But that's when we were created in the image of God. But is it in the mind or in the soul itself? Because sometimes the word mind and soul in the Hebrew are translated from the same word. They're, They're very interconnected. We talk about, or I talk about the corporeal in uh, hereditaments of personality, which is the soul, which is, encompasses both the mind and the body. Because part of your mind is all throughout your body. What you, what goes on in your mo- body will affect your mind and vice versa. So, why is it not readily visible, the, this power? Why is it that we are so in the dark? Well, it's because we're hiding behind the fig leaf. We're not admitting the truth. We're not walking into the light. It's it's not difficult. We're afraid to walk into the light. Man is reduced to a biological organism. Any treatment of any epidemic based on this view of humanity will only make the problem worse eventually. Well, that's going to be a hard sell. But for those of you who are, you know, it amazes me, and we've had lots of conversations about 
why did some people not take the shot? And it, it, it seems to be quite a diverse group. It, it crosses all spectrums. Uh, that there are a lot of people that, for no apparent reason, they just simply wouldn't do it. And, and you know, I, there's a lot of people out there, and I, can't, I, I just love to explore this more with different people, but where does the wisdom come from? That, again, where one person doesn't, you know, who worked every day of his life, but one day he decides to go fishing, and he comes back, and the town he left... To go fishing out is gone because it's Hiroshima. The town was gone. And he wasn't there because he decided to play hooky from work and go fishing. A rare thing in his life. How come? And lots of other stories. Less dramatic, some pretty dramatic. But what is guiding you in your life? And are you listening to that still small voice all the time? Can you even hear it? your mind filled with hunger and, you know, fasting is good. So, he says, real revolution must be to shake off the rhetoric and resolutely turn to the truth as a guiding principle. Where's the truth? It's that still small voice, that spark of light. Can we see it in the darkness of our own hearts? We have to look through the darkness of our own hearts to find that light because it's going to shine right through to see you whenever you're blaming everything on everybody else you're not going to see the darkness in your own heart stop it that's a sure sign whenever you're trying to figure out what will save you that's a sure sign you're not going to find the light because the light is going to first tell you how to save others wisdom is the ability to keep silent and let the other hear their own words. You know, because to, when you bring the light in the room, evil will tell the truth. A lot of people won't hear it, though. They won't even hear it. The evil is telling the truth. I mean, they tell us what they're going to do in the media, in, in, in the movies, long before they do it. You know, like I, I just heard Campbell, very thorough, very intellectual guy, following this COVID thing from the beginning and everything, advocating that we probably should get the shot, then you see him slowly transitioning as he's looking at the data because he's depending on the data. And now in an interview, he was just, the, the, the guy he was interviewing, they were both agreeing, saying that if we had known the spike protein could be so toxic, we would have never gone for the vaccination. We published a peer-reviewed study back in 2020 that showed that the spike protein was toxic. Extremely toxic. Warnings from professors at the University of Georgetown in Washington, D.C., who had done all kinds of autopsies. Proved and did cell cultures, tissue cultures. And remarked at the toxicity nature of the spike protein. That any vaccine, talking about a real vaccine that you manufacture, will have some of that protein in it, and we need to have extensive testing. They weren't even thinking of an mRNA vaccine that was actually going to get your body to produce hundreds and hundreds of times more of the toxic protein. 
that will will and maybe I've already caused the death of millions and millions of people. We knew that in 2020, before there was any vaccine. The the report came out. We published it. Republic. It's still on our website. You go to numerous scientists. Look for Dr. Suzuki. You can go read the study yourself. But they didn't see it. They weren't led to find it. I found it. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. I'm just a dumb old shepherd out there wandering around on the desert. I found it. How could I find it? The Holy Spirit was showing us the way. A lot of you weren't listening. You need to start listening because there's worse coming. Well, you need to start listening because you're, the Spirit of God is not going to breathe on the waters of your deep. <laughs> and that's what you need. So prophecy is the ability to sense the story that grips reality. Whether it's your reality or, or somebody else's reality. But prophecy is the willingness to to see that, to sense it. And it can be a man or a woman that sees it. And in fact, everybody has to see it. And when somebody amongst you stands up and says, oh, well, no, this is going to happen. Now, you still have to, you can't follow that person. You have to ask in your heart, well, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? It goes on to say, techni is the ability to speak technically, correctly, and produce a logical discourse. Well, what I'm saying is logical. But if you want to deny it, of course, you will see no logic in it. But I didn't come to it by logic. Even though I can, I can go back and forth. I can, you know, on our numerous scientists, we're showing you the logic of a lot of stuff that was going on. But we're just showing you the facts and putting them into place like the, the puzzle. It used to be an old, Jerry Lewis movie where you he was supposed to pass these tests and you, you had to put the diamond block in and the, and the heart block in like a little kid's toy and put them in there and he always had trouble with this and I think there's a scene in there somewhere where when he finally takes the test it's it's thousands of little blocks fitting in and all these little rows and has to fit just perfectly. And he ends up shutting it and just shaking it and opening it up and they're all in the right place. <laughs> well, if the Holy Spirit is guiding your hand shaking it, uh, I guess that will work. He says, uh, Paregia is the word for courage uh, to publicly express words that break through the fallacious discourse of our society. And of course, it comes from an ancient Greek word. But um, faith compels the paragia. But it has to be faith in the light. The light of Christ. Isn't it dangerous to give up rationality as an ideal? Well, I'm not giving up rationality. Right reason is the will of God. Will of God is right reason. I'm just saying you don't come to the right reason with your own logical brain. You can dare to think, but you can dare to think that I can't figure this out on myself. That goes back to when my story really started to progress, which many of you have heard. Out on the desert, checking sheep, I felt the anxiety and frustration that Desmond talks about. I had everything I wanted. I didn't know where it was coming from. 
something wasn't right. I wasn't seeing something. There was still this anxiety and frustration. Everything I thought I wanted, I had. And I just knelt down and said, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what will take this anxiety and frustration away. I don't know what the answer is. You have to show me. That's what you all have to say. Not my will, but thine be done. You have to show me. Because I can't figure it out. If you think you can figure it out by listening to me or reading the Bible, you can't. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. Just don't think you can figure it out. Know that you can only see by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And I've given you lots of hints today on how to find that Holy Spirit. You have to lay down that which distracted you from having the Holy Spirit as the paramount thing in your life. I mean, you if it was your strength, is if, if it was your endurance... Those are going to go away anyway. <laughs> As you get older and older, that strength and endurance will... Was it your cunning? Was it your cleverness? Was it your ability to manipulate other people? Well, you're going to have to set all that stuff down. You're going to have fast from that. You're, you know, you're going to have to uh, learn to walk on water. No one panics for a child dying on the other side of the world, he says... This is the inconvenient truth. The rationality of humanism, of the enlightenment, are in many ways the masquerade of a fig leaf. Strip man of his masquerade, of his fig leaf, and you look into the eyes of irrationality. Because there's a limit to our rationality. Always... When you look into the rationality of man, you will eventually get to a place where he cannot reason enough to come up with an answer. I don't know if he'll admit it. But the spark of life doesn't mean that the spark of life, that the the tree of life is not also rational. But its rationality comes from another plane. It takes to the talk of a different clock. Look behind the fig leaf of a ration, of rationality and you will find the ancient human vice of thinking you can figure it out. And you can't. One who knows the limits of his intellect usually becomes less arrogant and more human. And of course we see that with the Saul syndrome. With David who was constantly repenting. But Rehoboam, not so much. So, ultimately, the answer is within you. But not within your intellect. It can come into your intellect, but it has to come in by way of the tree of life. You can't plug into the tree of life until you walk into the light and see yourself. So, the ancient Greek philosophers were right. Know thyself. But to know thyself, you have to love thy neighbor. And to love thy neighbor, you have to sacrifice yourself. Which is, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I was looking for something in my pack the other day. I was on top of the mountain. We were setting up or talking about setting up some. Had to reach into the pack. And eventually I just took everything out of the pack. (laughs) 
and uh, and flipped open and started looking, and I found it. And now it's sitting on my table. <laughs> but the reality is, is that's kind of unpacking your own heart and soul. You have to let go of a lot of stuff. Because some of the stuff that's in there you don't need. Some of the stuff you don't, you know, that resentment, the anger, the judgment, you don't need any of that. So take all that out of your pack. Don't put more in fast from that. You have to fast from judgment of others. So, I mean, every time you're blaming Trump or blaming Biden or blaming Mao Zedong, you're just heaping junk on top of the stuff you need to unpack. No logic is absolute. It is the prerequisite to mental freedom. But the logic of God... But he doesn't give you the reason. He gives you the wisdom. When you wait on God, he will tell you stuff. And you won't know the why. But you will know the way you need to go. If you only go if God explains it to you, you won't hear. So you have to repent and go the other way. But I don't know... Is there a way, if you're in the chat room, is there a way somebody could raise their hand? Uh, Ella's been in and out. Okay, so she may not actually be in there now. Oh, I think she is still there. But anyway, um, I don't see any hands coming up. Even though we have 53 minutes left of this call. I think I'll save my voice in case other people show up. And then I have to start editing these because of all the interruptions that we had with breaking the connection. So, anyway, we'll get all these audios up there uh, on that. Uh, but eventually, uh, we do have some people that want to interview me. Not big uh, shows or anything, but uh, we're trying to set them up. But if you guys go out there and beat the brush and, and try to get other people to have us on their show... Uh, Hopefully, I'll get better and better at these interviews by doing these other smaller shows. But we'll see if we can't get an influx. And uh, until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.